Good morning. Well, that's an unsettling gospel reading. <laughs> Especially in these days of so much division, when everybody seems to be yelling or maybe screaming at one another. And the fire already seems to be raging in public discourse, in the climate of this earth, in many of our personal lives, don't we just want a little peace? Don't we just deserve a little peace? Why is Jesus promising us exactly what we're already so tired of? Fire. Division. Can't we simply gloss over this reading or ignore it altogether and talk about something more soothing? Something like peace like a river? And you know if you've been hanging around St. John's this summer um, that that is our summer theme, peace like a river. And I, I particularly love this theme because I'm in love with rivers. I'm drawn to them like a fish to water, like a moth to a flame, like a baby to the arms of her mother. And if there's not a river nearby, I don't really feel at home. I get thirsty in the absence of running water. It doesn't have to be much. Just a tiny trickle of a stream will do. And I believe that many of us share this, this deep, nearly inexpressible love for moving water, for rivers, and the ways in which they speak to us. Norman McLean certainly knew, and he was able to describe the mythic powers of rivers most eloquently. The last line of his novella, A River Runs Through It, goes like this. Eventually, all things merge into one, and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood, and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by water. I love that. And all this is to say that rivers and peace hold places in my heart with strong, loving hands. I love rivers. I yearn for peace. Who doesn't? And here's the deal. If peace is truly like a river, what does that mean? Does it mean that peace is always like that stretch of the snake from below the dam to... Pacific Creek, where it runs lazy and slow with cutthroat trout 
in the middle of it and a flotilla of people in rafts and paddle boards and sometimes an inflatable pink flamingo <laughs> are lazily cruising down the river, soft, relaxing, and cool on a hot summer afternoon. Yeah, sometimes that's what peace is like. Some days, hopefully many days of our lives, are graced with a peace just like that stretch of the river. But if peace truly is like a river, it's good to remember what rivers are like at different times of the year, different seasons, even changing from day to day. I'll bet they changed last night with that monsoon rain that blew through here. Sometimes peace, like a river in autumn, starts to run a little slower. More rocks are visible. More bank is visible. Sometimes peace, like a river, almost dries up. Sometimes it does dry up. And all that remains is the trace, the rocky riverbed, the mark of its channel. Not always. Sometimes peace, like a river, still runs in winter. And though the surface freezes and is buried under feet of snow, its strong, dark current still finds its way to the ocean. Hidden from view, felt but not seen. And sometimes peace, like a river running in spring, gushes with snowmelt, and rain, can peace be cleansing and at the same time turbulent, like the runoff in Cascade Canyon in May or the flood of the Snake River? Can peace like a river be fluid, ever-changing, one day lazy and calm, another day murky and dark, another day deep and silent? and another day roaring and tumultuous. Maybe peace can have all these qualities. Maybe the great gift of God's peace is the ability to remain centered when the circumstances call for calm and to become dynamic and active when we're called into action. And maybe that's what Jesus is describing today. Let's remember where this passage occurs in Jesus' story. It's in that large central portion of Luke where we find his teachings. And Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he's being bombarded by questions from his friends, from strangers, from a wealthy young man, from a lawyer, from the Pharisees and the scribes. And as told by Luke, Jesus seems to have almost infinite patience for all this probing and, and challenging and questioning that he faces. And he usually turns it around and answers a probing question with a really challenging parable, letting people decide for themselves what the answer to their own question might be. And the way I hear it in this reading 
Jesus is just about fed up. Remember, he knows what awaits him in Jerusalem, the cross, his death, his baptism by fire, and he says as much. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Stressed out? Well, I can only imagine what that must have been like, and it makes my daily stress seem kind of inconsequential. And how can the overarching story of Jesus' story as we know it, the story of God's peace and love, be reconciled with the next statement? Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. He goes on to tell us that even within families, his message of love and forgiveness will cause disruption and conflict. Peace, like a river, can take on many different, sometimes conflicting appearances and still be peace. Love, like peace, can look different in different circumstances. Jesus doesn't offer us an easy, romantic version of love and peace ever. He speaks repeatedly of how hard and costly discipleship really is. He tells us today that love and peace can come with a price. Jesus was the great disruptor. His message of grace and love and his disregard for hidebound tradition was so threatening to the Jewish system that the religious leaders conspired to have him killed. The love that he spread was not, nor should it be necessarily, always welcomed or received by those whose lives he disrupted. Jesus didn't set out to pit father against son or mother against daughter. He didn't stir up conflict just for conflict's sake. He didn't use his words to justify violence or war or revolution. But the peace that Jesus offers is not the fake peace of pretending that injustice or racism or environmental destruction do not exist. Debbie Thomas, who is my current favorite contemporary theologian, says that Jesus offers a holistic, truth-telling, disinfecting peace. The kind of deep, life-changing peace that doesn't hesitate to break in order to mend and cut in order to heal. Jesus will name realities that we don't want named. He will upset hierarchies that, we don't, that we'd rather keep intact. He will expose the lies we tell ourselves out of cowardice, laziness, or obstinacy. And he will disrupt all dynamics in our relationships that keep us from wholeness and holiness and truth. This is not because Jesus wants us to suffer. 
It's because he knows that real peace is worth fighting for. Consider the fact that Jesus forced choices from just about everyone he met during his years of incarnate ministry. No one met him without feeling compelled to change. He consistently brought people to the point of crisis, tension, movement, or transformation. He consistently led people to decisions their families and communities didn't understand. Jesus himself was considered crazy by his mother and his siblings. Still, the status quo held no sway over him. His project was, and I love this, his project was shalom or bust. And so I have to ask myself, when was the last time my faith divided me? When was the last time I allowed Jesus to bring me to a point of saving crisis? When was the last time my faith encouraged holy division, holy change in someone else's heart? In other words, what am I most invested in? My comfort or my salvation? And I would add, the salvation of the world. If your vision of Christ is a Sunday school vision of Jesus meek and mild, well, you're probably going to be put off by Jesus' words today. And if, like me, your vision of Jesus is formed by the way we preach the word around here, Jesus is love, God is love, we are love-spreading difference-makers intent on creating peace, well, then maybe this gospel reading is challenging for you today, too. But I want to encourage you to be brave. Speak up. Where there is pain, speak up where you're given the opportunity to right a wrong, speak up. But don't only speak up. What can each of us do to make this a world of peace, a place where the least of us is treated with as much dignity and grace and offered the same opportunities to flourish as the most privileged? What can we do to care for the homeless, they are the widows and orphans of the 21st century. What can we do to help the sick, those in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble? What can we do to see that creation, the world, our island home, is treated with respect, not simply used for private gain? I want to encourage you to be brave, and even disruptive as we work together to build the kingdom of God, starting in our homes, moving out into our town, beyond that, into the world. Speak and act in ways that demonstrate just how sure you are that God's great dream for the world is that God's kingdom will come and that anything that stands in the way of justice and prosperity and peace for all stands in the way of the kingdom.
This is the part of the work that we're called to do as followers of Jesus. So let's do it. But here's the rub. Don't be surprised if standing for truth and justice and the well-being of your neighbors and even the well-being of your enemies causes division and stress. Maybe your friends and even your family will misunderstand. Maybe they'll be angry. Don't be surprised if you are mocked as being naive or an impractical dreamer. Don't be surprised if those in power are threatened by your words and launch a counterattack. It may seem ironic that a message of peace and love can cause division, but that seems to be the way of the world. That's how the world worked 2,000 years ago, and that's how the world works today. I can't let go of that river, though. Peace like a river. Heraclitus, he was an ancient Greek dude. Famously said that a person cannot step into the same river twice. Because each time we step into it, it's a different river and we are a different person. Now, I think it's always the same river because it's God's peace that we are so thirsty for. It's the river that we all want to bathe in. And sometimes we need to ride out the rapids and hang on for dear life. And sometimes we have to paddle up the backwater where the river is barely moving. And sometimes our peace may not seem so tranquil. As different as we feel, each time we come to the river, we are revived. Every river has its source, and the source of our river is God's love. Amen.